And so my whole life has been amazing. My life has been amazing, but it's always been other people trying to limit my freedom and me trying to convince them not to limit my freedom. And, and yes, I can do things privately. And I did, I do things privately, but, but the problem is, as you see right now, the re one of the reasons why it's so easy for the world superpowers to control the minds of everybody in the world right now is because they've been conditioned for so long. Their mind is so far in the matrix, it's hard to get it out. Now, if I had more influence and there was more people outside the matrix, the whole world would be a better place right now. So I can zoom out and say like whole world's a better place if it embraces freedom. Even my short, small group of friends is a better place if it embraces freedom. Even the state of California is a better place if it embraces freedom. And so they I got a long way to go is create a, a, as much influence as I can to try to make the world better so that I have a better place to live in for me and, and my children. And, but I balance that with just my own personal pleasure and happiness. And, and I don't show everything that I do or take, or I'd probably be in jail. My name is John and this is please allow me. <laughs> Tonight I recorded my first remote episode. Now I'm no damn tech nerd, so there are probably going to be some hiccups along the way. We also had to deal with some significant time zone differences. My guest was in Thailand for reasons I'm not at liberty to disclose, and I was in Boston returning home from a lovely dinner. Aside from me looking like Veruca Salt due to overconsumption of red wine, I think it went pretty well. My partner for this episode is a retired attorney, a former champion bodybuilder, and he's the face and founder of bodybuilding supplement company Enhanced Athlete. He might also have the coolest fucking name in the game. Please allow me to introduce Dr. Tony Huge. Thanks a bunch for doing this. I think this is really awesome. And uh, I saw I first saw you on the uh, on the show Trafficked. And I'm relatively new to podcasting. I had six episodes and I said, this is a guy I got to talk to. So thanks for doing this to begin with. And also to be, also to be clear, not a licensed doctor, but an attorney. I think we should add, yeah, we should add Esquire. I think if you add Dr. Tony Huge Esquire, it sounds a little bit more uh, highfalutin than just Dr. Tony Huge personal opinion, but you got to do you. Um, how do you like to go by Dr. Tony, Tony, Mr. Huge? Oh, I, you know, it's been a while since anybody asked me that. We, we could go with whatever, what is, feels right to you. I'm going to go with Dr. Tony if that works. Okay. Sounds good. Cool. So um, let's start by just talking about what you're doing out there in Thailand. What's your mission? How did you arrive there? How did you arrive at this uh, kind of niche? When I originally came here, I wanted to get out of... Uh, Western civilization that's a little bit more restrictive on freedom, uh, the type of freedom that I enjoy. And I wanted to continue my experimentation without sort of the oversight of, of America and the strict regulations that are there, because they do a lot of human experiments with chemistry. Uh, and I was also going to be shooting the third enhanced movie. So I was going to be bringing over famous fitness influencers and doing transformations on them to build as much muscle as fast as possible. And we did bring uh, a few people over and then the travel got restricted. And here we are. I'm almost been in Thailand almost a year later. So I came right before the COVID situation and people aren't able to come in. Soon they will be able to, but that put a hold on my original mission of coming 
to Thailand. So when you're in Thailand, I mean, the subjects that you're working with, are you working primarily towards aesthetic gains or performance enhancement for athletes? Not performance enhancement, although there is a lot of overlap, uh, of course, and I do get a lot of, of questions and people asking about performance gain, but it's mostly about building actual muscle mass and losing body fat or getting down to very low body fat. And and how did you arrive at this niche in life? Like, um, I, I'm guessing we're probably somewhere in similar, similar in ages. And I know that like, for me, I grew up playing football in the nineties and we had, uh, you know, everybody had the Arnold encyclopedia, you know, uh, and, and we opened that thing up and just did the bigger, faster, stronger protocol, like mad men. <laughs> I, uh, initially started wanting to enhance myself in every way possible. And, and originally I think it was a lot of performance based when I was around 12 years old. So I picked it up as a, as a hobby, uh, very young. And I didn't actually use steroids until I was 30 years old. And I was extremely anti-drug, but I had a delusional definition of what drug was. So I had experimented a lot with herbs and even things like carterine at a, at a really young age. And I, I started creatine just as an example, as a mainstream supplement, because I went through everything that was at GNC at age uh, 13, somewhere around age 13. And I'm 38 now. So, you know, that's 20 something like 25 years ago when creatine first hit the shelf. I, boom, I had one of the first batches, the first bottles, I think. So I just constantly was experimenting on myself. And of course, I went a different pathway with, with my career because my father's dying wish was for me to become an attorney. And I was into real estate and building computers and auto brokerages. I just had a lot of businesses uh, throughout my professional life, ended with uh, being an attorney and becoming the youngest certified specialist in business organization in California, and then retired from law and spent full time focused on uh, researching and experimenting with the chemistry to improve uh, human muscle building, health, longevity, and, and fat loss. So that's kind of a crazy journey that you took to get to where you are right now. And along the path, you're saying that you've taken all these different things. Tell me what your definition of a performance enhancer is. Well, see, yeah, that's, I mean, some people will say it's just steroids, but I think it can be anything. It could be caffeine. It could be uh, mindset, it, you know, because when you change the way you think your body's chemistry changes. So it could be something as subtle as that. The, the line between natural and enhanced or chemically enhanced to me is so blurry. I, I don't even know where that line is. You could spend days deliberating, deciding what the definition of natural versus enhanced is. So I, I think pretty much everything, and that's what I love about bodybuilding is, and I know you're a MMA based, but in the bodybuilding world, every single thing you do, 24 hours a day, everything you put in your body, everything in the environment you subject yourself to impacts your results. 24 hour right. day sport. Yeah. So we, we often have this argument, like, you know, in the gym, like what really is a performance enhancer? Uh, there are things you're able to do, things you're not able to do. I mean, but just over the counter is taking creatine, is taking uh, protein. Is that a performance enhancer? And where do we draw the line? And why is it so arbitrary that the, the governing bodies, the United States government, USADA, WADA, and all these other places, where, what are the things do you think they're looking at to categorize something as performance enhancing as opposed to normal for everyday use? Well, they say it's based on health or it's based on an unfair advantage. 
and with unfair advantage, I don't understand this because we're all genetically different. And to me, I don't like the genetic ivory tower. I think people should be able to take things to equalize the genetic advantage and disadvantages. We should be able to find our rate limiting step and our limiting factor and address that through supplementation, not rely only on our genetics and 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 work. I think we're at the stage of evolution now where we should be able to create a vision of ourselves and use the chemistry to get us there. Uh, but yeah, on the WADA list, for example, or USADA, so these organizations that determine what is banned in sports and, and what is not banned in sports, you know, they, there's actually a lot of substances that could help performance that are not banned. Uh, so creatine, for example, and you know, creatine, they could, it's not something they could test for. It's naturally found in, in food. So someone could eat enough meat to get as much creatine as they could get through supplementation. And there's a lot of natural things that help muscle building. Uh, but USADA and WADA have gotten really good at with their testing for all of these other supplements. They're always one step behind the athletes actually using it. Right. It's like um, anything else. The criminals are always a step ahead of the cops. Like we're, you're, you're setting the standard and people are trying to catch up to you. Yeah. Not you specifically in general. Yeah. And, and so if you look at the USADA and WADA list and you see, there's a lot of substance on there that are uh, health that are actually pretty healthy to take that have minimal side effects. So you can see like there's some supplements on there that are, yes, they're higher risk compounds to the athlete and they promote an unfair advantage. And there's un others that just give a really good advantage that have no real health side effects for, to me, cause I'm not in a drug tested sport and for people who are not in drug tested sports, I, I do pri I do prioritize my health. I mean, I do it does look like I do a lot of crazy experiments, and I and yes, that's true. Some of them do compromise my health in the name of of science and and learning. But I don't submit subject myself to chronically using these supplements that that damage my health. To me, it's a risk versus benefit analysis. And there's a lot of uh, drugs and supplements that could improve performance that are banned by WADA because of the unfair advantage, but they don't actually have many side effects. And off the top right. of my head, I can't think of any specific examples, but the WADA and USADA list is absolutely massive. It's, it's shocking how many compounds they've decided to ban. Right. And I read articles all the time on like uh, NFL players who will take Viagra before, uh, you know, a, a game. Uh, there's tons of things that people take over the counter. Um, I think like clombuterol people will take before certain performances. There are drugs that will lower your heart rate that like the pentathletes will take in the Olympics so that they can shoot better, things like that. So it, it's always confusing to me how the, the governing bodies decide what's legal and what's not. For example, USADA recently said they are no longer going to penalize athletes for testing positive for marijuana or they're not going to test them, which to me, as someone who was a former competitor, I was a huge adrenaline dumper. I probably could have benefited a shitload from hitting a bowl before I went out to go and fight someone instead of like losing all my energy just on the walkout with my crazy music playing. So that to me would have been a performance enhancer. Just because it's now decriminalized in many states, I think they see that penalizing people for it is more bad PR than anything else. If people like stop to think about it, there are many things that fall into the exact same category. What's tragic is there's a lot of supplements and drugs on the banned list that are actually really good for health. So here, uh, an athlete who's putting pushing their body to the limit could benefit from taking one of these supplements, uh, not just as a performance enhancer, but also a quality of life and a health and longevity supplement, but they're prohibited from using it because it's banned on the list. So I just don't like the USADA and WADA list. I I mean, I guess there must be some rules, otherwise a lot of people are going to kill themselves and it's going to be who can take the most 
supplements and drugs or as the best chemistry regimen. Uh, but on the other hand, I think we're way too far on the extreme of prohibiting way too many compounds. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, it gets to a point where such trace amounts get people popped and they're pissing hot on these tiny little amounts um, that literally it probably has no performance enhancing effect at all. But because, you know, someone in a factory somewhere didn't wash a funnel properly. Now they've got like, you know, some sort of banned substance on there. Uh, I had... I spoke with a nutritionist a couple of years ago who told me she had conducted a symposium in Canada and some extremely high number of uh, supplement companies also produced supplements that were banned by governments and government uh, regulating bodies. And people were constantly ingesting things they thought were legal and there were tiny trace amounts of banned substances. And so they were pissing hot unbeknownst to them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The pic picograms. So the measurement is so small, it can detect anything. So I want to, I picograms in MMA is a kind of a punchline of sorts because there are some fighters who have pissed hot. Let me, let me preface this by saying I've read, and I don't know that this is true, that the UFC is USADA's largest client. If that is true, there's a gigantic conflict of interest there because the guys who generate the most money, it behooves the UFC to have those guys able to compete, which means USADA should not be popping these guys uh, on, on their drug tests. So there's a really well-known fighter, John Jones, and he pissed hot and he's got all kinds of issues with other recreational drugs also, which personally, I think he should be able to use whatever he wants. Um, and he failed another test a few months later and they gave him this kind of exemption or they allowed him to keep because compete because these were picograms that were pulsating through his system to which my thought was, well, you still pissed hot. And if you're pissing hot, you violated the test. You shouldn't be able to compete. And it kind of seemed a little bit like a workaround for the UFC to get their big money star back in the cage. So, you know, I'm not an expert on UFC, but I do know athletes that, want to get in the UFC and they're fighting in lower organizations to work their way up. And they're actually taking a lot of steroids and performance enhancers now because they know they won't be able to later. So, so that's a strategy I would, if that works, I'd have to research that more, but that's a strategy that makes sense because some of these performance enhancers can give you a permanent benefit. Like when someone does a first steroid cycle, it permanently makes changes to the muscles in a very positive way. And uh, someone came up to me the other day uh, during my beach workout. He said, a young guy said, I'm thinking about doing a steroid cycle, but I hear that nobody ever does one cycle, but I really want to try to do just one cycle. Do you think I would get any benefits from doing one cycle? Yes, of course, some of the muscle is going to go away. Yes, of course, it takes more androgens to maintain a certain amount of muscle mass, but it's my theory that when you do take steroids the first time, there's sort of a maturity that happens in the muscle, almost like finishing puberty, almost like we haven't finished puberty naturally. And it gives a permanent advantage. So a lot of these UFC fighters, they may be clean now, but they may have also taken steroids a long time ago. And it gives them a substantial advantage. Whereas a competitor that didn't know that huge advantage of taking steroids early in the game would have a permanent advantage, will never have that opportunity to do a full steroid cycle to permanently enhance their performance. So when we use the term steroid, it seems generic to a lot of people. What kind of things fall under that umbrella term? Like what's the difference between SERMs and SARMs and peptides and, and hormones? I, I think we should divide it by, I'm famous for um, creating the demonstrative tool called the anabolic matrix, which I mean, if you look it up on the internet, I'm not even sure you'd find a really good 
uh, picture of it because it's been highly censored. The word anabolic actually gets censored a lot. Uh, so it's hard to find, but I have these growth pathways and the first growth pathway is the androgen receptor inside the muscle. That's the receptor responsible for accepting in the testosterone or other steroid and creating uh, and beginning the process of building more muscle. And then there's other pathways like growth hormone and insulin and IGF and local peptides inside the muscle and mTOR. Uh, so when I think steroid, I think anything in the androgen receptor column. I mean, SARMs and steroids, they do the same thing. They activate the androgen receptor in the muscle. So if we're talking steroids on the broader uh, definition, I think we include things like uh, SARMs. But then you mentioned something else, like would it be also included? Like a carterine would not be a steroid, a growth hormone. A growth hormone is a, uh, is a hormone, just like testosterone is a hormone, but it doesn't activate the androgen receptor. So I would leave that for another column. So in preparation for our talk, uh, I spoke to one of these male anti-aging clinics and I went and got uh, my blood work done to see if they would prescribe me TRT. And they told me that my testosterone was uh, in the right zone, 800, I think, for my age, and I'll, I'll be 46 soon. And uh, and my free testosterone, I think, was around like 1400, if, that, if I remember that rightly. But then they said, but let's give you these peptides. No, that, that number's not right. No, 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 no. Free testosterone oh. is much, much lower. Yeah, okay. But but my testosterone was like around 800. So they were like, look, you're not a candidate for TRT. However, let's get you these peptides. And I researched all these peptides and I thought to myself, okay, I've got to take them at night on an empty stomach or I'm going to get diabetes and they're going to hit the pituitary gland and they're going to release GH. And I kind of went down this rabbit hole. And frankly, I didn't understand a fucking thing about it. And I thought to myself, well maybe I don't want to be sticking a needle in myself every night before, before bed when I don't know exactly what I'm putting in myself. So where do these peptides that induce GH fall into the category? Are these legal? Do they need a prescription? I mean, these guys seem like as soon as I wrote the check, they were going to send me a year's worth. Okay. So let's zoom way out and talk about peptides in general. Peptides are bonded proteins together that act as hormone signalers in the body the same way testosterone does except for they just have a, a different molecular structure so there's more peptides in the body than we've discovered there's so many peptides in the body used as small hormonal interactions and we don't even know all of the ones that are in fact i uh, i was interviewing uh, dr john jaquish who's an editor of the the steroid uh, medical newsletter or whatever you call it and the published scientific studies. And he said that there's, there's, there could be up to 500 different peptides that have some interaction with muscle growth in some way. And of course we've discovered some of the most powerful ones uh, and different other peptides would be like, uh, I, I believe actually insulin is even a peptide type type hormone, but another peptide would be like IGF for example. So HGH, is like the mother peptide. Our body uses this long chain, 191, I think, amino acid chain, and it breaks it down into many, many other peptides in the body. So you're, when you're taking a growth hormone, uh, secretagogue, we'll call it, these, these growth hormone uh, releasing peptides that you're talking about trigger your body to produce its own natural growth hormone. Uh, then you're you're increasing growth hormone, but you're also potentially increasing all the peptides that come out of growth hormone. So I think of it almost like a pro-hormone, like, like DHEA or pregnenolone. These are hormones you can take that your body doesn't do a lot with them directly, but it 
it, it can use it as the materials to make other hormones in the body. I think it's pretty healthy to add growth hormone, especially as we age. It has a lot of anti-aging benefits. And there's so many growth hormone peptides to choose from. Most of them have a very short active life. So they, they cause a very quick pulse in your natural growth hormone that is similar to your body's own natural pulse of growth hormone because your body just pulses growth hormone and then it stops. It's pulse and stop. Women are a little bit different. Women have a little bit more stable and lower growth hormone levels. Uh, so when you take the growth hormone screenagogue, you get this, you get this pulse, but you give it, you get it even bigger, and you get to control the timing of it. So it's it's helpful. It's great for um, it's great for longevity and health, and it helps your body recover faster and recover uh, from injuries. Now in bodybuilding, we inject actual growth hormone because then we can go much higher in the dosage, and then we can have it active in the body for a longer period of time and we can combine it with insulin when we inject insulin and growth hormone at the same time the body with with estrogen present in the liver creates igf which is the most powerful muscle building hormone in my opinion most people will say it's insulin i think igf i want to come back to the igf because i read a lot about that and i read a lot about people using that but before we come back to that when you when you secrete um, all these secretagogues, whatever it was you called them, wh what parts of your body's benefit from that? Is it just your muscles? Is it your joints? Is it your ligaments? Is it your organs? Pretty much everything. So growth hormone, either directly or through its breakdown into metabolites, will affect almost everything in the body. So that's why growth hormone isn't primarily just a bodybuilding drug. It's not just to build muscle. It, it just does everything. It heals everything in the body. So that also means that if you take too much for too long, you could have side effects everywhere in the body as well. So it's all about using a, a moderate, healthy dosage for whatever the actual goal. It's not about getting growth hormone levels as high as possible, as long as possible. And also, even though growth hormone is present for such a short period of time, it creates a cascade of positive interactions in the body. So even if you were to take it just in the morning, it's going to go everywhere in the body and do lots of things that are beneficial uh, throughout the day. And as far as IGF goes, I read that uh, one of the problems with IGF is people taking too much of it and then, mm -hmm. they, and then they have problems. And is that linked to diabetes or something different? Uh, how does the IGF, IGF work and how does insulin and that chemical help your muscles and your body to absorb other things you're, you're exogenously putting in there? So the side effects from these things come when people use too high of a dosage for too long. So those are the two, the two factors. I think most important is actually the length of time using it because the body desensitizes to the, to the benefits of it. Uh, and then you just start getting more side effects. So I haven't seen any major side effects from people using even high dosages for very short periods of time. To with growth hormone, for example, one of the side effects is water retention. And if you have, if you're using growth hormone every day without a break, multiple times per day, then the water retention accumulates. And if you take a break, you get rid of the water retention. And these things are like switches in the body. And our body is meant to, like when you're eating, your body flips a bunch of switches saying, okay, now we've got food. Now we need to make use of the food. Now we need to, to grow. And then when your body's fasting, your body says, okay, now we got to get rid of fat. Now we can do cleanup. Now we can break down old protein and, and kill cancer or whatever. So 
you don't ever want to have in the body a switch flipped on all the time. You want to give the switch a break. It's the switch being flipped on all the time that creates the, the side effects. So with IGF, it's, it's really not dangerous and it's not going to cause all these health problems that people hear about if you just use it for short periods of time and then you let the switch rest. And for IGF in the bodybuilding world, it's my opinion, and this is different. I, I have new opinions that are totally different than anyone historically ever said, but I really balance it with health and I also balance it to try and get the best results in the shortest time possible. So for me, IGF is blast it with a high dose for a short period of time when you can actually get enough calories in to make use of it mm -hmm. and then come off the IGF and drop the calories down and cruise and enjoy the new muscle bit gains and transformations that are made in the body. But if someone were to, cause I think one of the side effects you may be referring to is like people's gut grows, their organs grow, their digestive right. system right. grows. Especially you said, you said killing cancer. And uh, I had read articles where that could encourage the growth of cancer. If it's, if everything in your body's growing due to IGF, then if you have cancer cells, they may also grow. Right. If you have IGF level switch on all the time, your body never has a time to, to break down cancer. And yes, IGF right. can grow cancer and the absence of IGF and all of the other anabolic hormones in the body allows the body to go into a, a, a mode of killing cancer and breaking down old cells. So we want to give the body that opportunity to do it. That's why the other extreme of taking a bunch of steroids and eating a ton of food is fasting. That's, that would be the, and so, so if you balance the taking all this chemistry with throwing in some fasting every once in a while to flip those switches down as far as they can go, then we mitigate a lot of the health side effects. And so with IGF, it's the massive consumption of food in conjunction with the IGF and the inflammation from the food and just the work of digesting the food that's going to grow the organs. Yes, it's true. Someone's gut could grow on IGF, but only if they're eating, if they're taking high doses, they're eating tons of calories and they're not giving their digestive system a break because the digestive system also needs a break. You know, every once in a while you need to just let the digestive system just rest. And that's another benefit of, of fasting or even just intermittent fasting. And then we avoid the side effects like the growing the gut. That's why I fast on Sundays at the liver and the stomach all come back to normal levels on Sunday after I've been mm. eating and drinking like a banshee for 48 hours. Mm -hmm. So you, so you think there's a healthy way to do uh, steroids slash performance enhancing drugs. Yes. Why hasn't the FDA jumped on board and said, there's a healthy way for us to do this. Let's make a fucking mint and bring one of these guys in and let's get everybody, you know, living their optimal physical life. Well, we have to understand the nature of the FDA, why it was created, what its role is and who it works for. The FDA is not interested in public health whatsoever. It is interested in protecting the profits of the mainstream monopolies. That's who funds it behind the scenes. And I don't see that changing any anytime soon. I mean, the FDA publishes flat out false information because they're told to. And they, they really don't understand or know what they're doing. And they go after companies that are actually helping people. Uh, but we don't want to get into the current viral situation in the world right now, but their target right now is anything that contradicts uh, the mainstream approach to treating the current viral situation, even though these other approaches seem to be far more effective. It's just one example that, and I think that is starting to wake people up 
to think, wait, maybe these government organizations don't have the population's best interest. What, 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 are, what is their motivation and who's benefiting and follow the money? So I'm on your side with this argument, but I'm curious to, to hear your opinion on who actually does benefit and who funds the FDA if they're a government organization other than the government. I mean, is it pharmaceutical companies? Who, who's doing this to kind of like steer the, the direction of the FDA? So some of the money would be above board. Like, yes, pharmaceutical companies, when they apply for FDA approval, then the FDA makes money. The government uh, funds the the organization uh, through federal money. But it's really the people behind the scenes, the people that are embedded into the executive branch of the government or the people who have influence over the people in the executive part of the government. So there's a, a huge amount of transactions and things that happen behind the scenes that are, that are hidden. Uh, and this, all of this information is out there in books and such, but it's just so highly censored. Uh, so it's really hard to get that in, information out. But when you interact with these organizations and you start asking questions, just you, why is this? Why is this? You ask enough questions, it'll always lead back to the same, the only logical answer that makes sense, the only theories that make sense is just that the entire system, just like any system of government, is designed to separate the people from the people that control the people and the people that profit off of the people. And it's just, it's no different than anything else. It's, it sounds like a conspiracy theory, but that's just how government has worked throughout all of history. There's no difference with this. No, I, I agree a lot. I mean, uh, last last March, we were talking about things that in March, people said, oh, no, that's a conspiracy theory. That'll never happen. And now that shit is happening right now. And I mean, I'm a big believer in the fact that uh, when the pandemic first started, the first thing they try to do is make you mentally weak by telling you wear this mask and go here and go there. Then they try to make us financially weak by putting us dependent on the government. And now they want to make us physically weak because I, I don't know how much you're keeping up on things here. It's damn near impossible to find a gym around here to work out in. So I run a martial arts gym, but I can't lift there. I live in Boston, which is a major city in the United States. I have to drive to another city 25 minutes away to a YMCA just to find a squat rack, which I mean, it's literally over one made up imaginary border that I have to cross into just to go and squat. It makes absolutely no sense. So I kind of, I kind of uh, agree with you on all of that. Here's an, here's an interesting statistic for you. Not a single COVID transmission has happened in Thailand, and they keep track of all these things, in a gym or in a sauna. Any of the places where healthy people go, healthy people are not contracting, uh, not having symptoms, and not passing it on. Their immune systems are able to just deal with it very quickly. It's the unhealthy people. So why is the government shutting down all of the things that healthy people need access to to stay healthy? And why is the government not just the United States government, but this is coming from a much larger, bigger influence. Why is the entire world suppressing access to information for our health and access to the tools and resources to be healthy? Well, you're scratching me right where I itch because uh, the whole time I'm kind of thinking like, I think since we were able to reopen We've been locked down again the last month, right before Christmas, but we were able to reopen back in July. I teach jujitsu. For people who don't know jujitsu, we're sweating and bleeding in each other's mouths and noses and everything. It's very close contact. I think we've had, we had just about 4,500 
check-ins at my gym. A lot of them are repeat customers, but we had three cases of COVID that were contracted outside the gym. And because of the pod structure I put in place for training, none of it was transmitted throughout the gym. I mean, I think the government should be consulting with me on how to control COVID rather than the other way around. I think in Massachusetts, their own data suggests that transmission in gyms is like 0.06%. Transmission in homes is 76.6%. So rather than shutting down Logan during the uh, Logan airport during the holidays and restricting travel because the unions and everybody else, there's too much money to make there. They make a PR campaign out of small businesses like mine and it makes the people think they're doing something good and hopefully they'll get a check in the mail. But uh, I, I totally agree with you on the powers controlling this situation are probably don't have our best interest in mind. Right. Yeah. Um, so we talked briefly about these anti-aging clinics and I said that I had like had my, my blood work done. And my question to you is, so I'm 45 and I got a couple of my friends who get uh, testosterone replacement therapy from some of these places. Are they ever going to be able to, A, benefit from that outside the first 90 days? What it seems like to me is the TRT kind of brings their level up to a normal level, but it doesn't actually make them feel any better. And after a certain time, your body stops producing the testosterone. So they're kind of just keeping you at this moderate level of average testosterone anyway. So when guys go in to beat the test, like, you know, super hungover or super tired so that they can get the TRT therapy... It doesn't really have an effect past 90 days. What are your thoughts on these types of clinics? Uh, okay, I'll try to keep it concise. The When I first did took testosterone, just as an example, I felt like a god for about three weeks, and my sex drive was out of control, and I felt invincible, and then I just sort of dropped back down to, to normal. And so the body does – the body adapts. Um, now taking more testosterone does build more muscle if there's adequate stimulation for it. We also have studies showing that when people take steroids, uh, for the first six weeks, maybe two months, they steadily gain muscle, even if they don't work out, just the steroids alone help them build muscle. And then there's a plateau. And then, so for the first 90 days, everybody on steroids build muscle. And after that, only the people build muscle who actually who actually train the muscle. So we do have, we have two sides of the equation. We have the testosterone and we have the sensitivity to the testosterone and the receptors. So there's things that you do that increase the sensitivity. You could actually have a lower dosage of testosterone and higher sensitivity to it. And it'd be more effective than someone who has a lot more testosterone, but is not sensitive to it. So actually weight training, lifting, uh, or jujitsu, anything you're putting a lot of strain on your muscles is going to increase the sensitivity to the testosterone, allow you to use more testosterone in the muscles. The sex organs are not, I, I don't, I don't know how to increase the sensitivity in the se sex organs to, uh, to testosterone or in, yeah. or in the brain. But so, so with some of these benefits, they do seem, they do tend to plateau like the sexual benefits, but what benefits I don't see plateau is when, when someone comes to me and they, have all these symptoms of depression and, and it's symptoms of low testosterone, but that causes depression, lack of motivation, lack of confidence in men. Uh, and when they take testosterone, that's a benefit they keep that, that doesn't seem to desensitize. So if the brain is deficient in, in testosterone, then adding testosterone will, and by curing that deficiency, we'll, we'll always have that benefit of preventing someone from having deficient testosterone. But some of the other benefits, yeah, they plateau. And also with dosage, right? Someone who's not training, 
uh, probably wouldn't feel any difference between 200 milligrams of testosterone and 600 milligrams of testosterone because they're not doing anything to cause the body to need to use it. So one of the things that I also, I think, revolutionized in the bodybuilding and steroid world was only use as much testosterone as you need and then add other compounds that build muscle that are better than testosterone on top of that as you create the demand for it in, in the body. And so we, we never, we don't actually blast the body with more than the body can use because that causes desensitization. So if, if someone was going to do TRT, if they did a blast of a thousand milligrams of testosterone per week, and then they drop down to 200 milligrams, they're going to feel that, that drop because they've lost sensitivity by taking more than they actually needed. Right. Uh, so, but I think testosterone replacement therapy is usually, it's usually pretty spot on, which is to give men enough testosterone to keep them in the upper range of, of normal. Uh, a bodybuilder can be frustrated with that because a bodybuilder needs more testosterone to maintain more muscle mass or to be able to put on more muscle mass after a certain point. So then they try to shop around for testosterone replacement doctors that will give them a higher dosage. Right, right, right. I feel like a lot of what you said about like the, the kind of the, the, circle of symptoms of depression and the not working out all those things like that those are like negative feedback loops that people just need to get out of in general i feel like the, those people with all of those symptoms they've got a lot of stuff going on and you know i feel like just getting in the gym can start to break that cycle of i'm depressed i have no energy and all these other things uh, but you know that's a that's another well, they, go, they go hand in hand because i had this great extreme example that my brother is very anti-drug and he's all about mindset. And he's one of the most disciplined people I know. And he's got, he's learned all these mindset tricks and he's trying to coach me on changing my mindset. There was a period of time when I went through some, some serious depression and I was trying to figure out whether it was chemical based or it was environmental based and my mindset based. And it turns out it's, it's both because if, if you're, if you're chemically handicapped, like you don't have uh, sensitivity to dopamine. You don't produce enough dopamine. You don't produce enough serotonin or sensitivity to serotonin or norepinephrine. So all these different brain, brain chemistries, they could, they can be off, but you could change your lifestyle to try to improve those. And you could try to improve those to improve your lifestyle because they're so related. But in, in my situation, just as an extreme, extreme example, I overdosed on a supplement called DMAA, which is a pre-workout that's now banned, certainly banned by WADA and USADA, uh, but you can still buy it as just a raw powder and use it. It's not scheduled. It's not illegal. Uh, but I accidentally, when doing an experiment, thinking it was another compound, I mislabeled it. I took about 75 times the normal dosage. Jesus. And I had one of the most extreme experiences for 48 hours ever. I mean, I could feel, just one example, I could feel every hair follicle on my body. So, so I, I've, what, I've actually not done ecstasy, but it sounds like a sort of ecstasy type. Of what the fuck is DMAA then? <laughs> it's an, oh, it's amazing. And, and where can I get some? It's amazing. <laughs> you just have to search, search online and, and you just take a small amount. And it actually is very calming. It's like, why would you take something calming before a workout? Well, you stack it with caffeine and all of a sudden you don't feel pain or pain becomes pleasure it's it's and you have this mind muscle connection and just nothing can stop you but you take it by yourself and you take too much and you, you kind of just want to sleep and and listen and feel your hair follicles grow and so what happened to you for those 48 hours what were you going oh through? i it, i blew out my dopamine receptors i was not well okay no after the 40 yeah I, it was vomiting for 48 hours 
just I couldn't even sip water. So I was ultra dehydrated by the end of the day. Okay. Uh, and then I, I actually, my sleep was amazing on it, which was crazy. And so I just tried to sleep as much as possible. But then when I'm awake, it's that, it's that, oh my God, it's like, it's almost, it was almost like ecstasy or what I hear ecstasy just described as. Uh, and so it felt, it felt really good, even though I felt like I was dying. I mean, it was a close, that was a really close call. Actually, I think might've killed me if I wasn't already on a beta blocker and a Bivolol that was slowing my heart rate down because it might've, it might've stimulated my heart too much at that dosage also. Is, so is after, that the... the after effect was similar to a meth addict. So someone's doing meth, they feel great on meth. And I, I haven't done meth, but I actually have a lot of friends that regularly do meth. Uh, they feel great on meth. And then when they can come off, like nothing is exciting to them. So is that and a result know, of, is that a result of the receptors not picking up the chemicals in the brain? Yeah. So the, the brain could still produce the chemical, but the receptors are so fried. They need to regenerate. They need to heal. For meth user, it could take, you know, it takes months. Is there a genetic component to that? You were talking about uh, sensitivity to testosterone and other compounds. Is there a genetic component that do we all start on the same level playing field there? Or are some people just no. inherently more, more sensitive? Everybody's genetics is going to be different than this. And I've seen a really extreme example. I've seen a, a, a natural bodybuilder who I knew very well, who knows nothing about steroids, who never took a steroid before, and his testosterone levels were in the tank. And they were so, they were some of the lowest testosterone levels I've ever heard, but this guy is still building muscle. So I said, why? Well, I wonder what happens if he adds in a SARM at a low dosage, just, just a, some weak SARMs like Austrian is one of the weakest SARMs. Just take that at a low dosage. And the guy blew up with muscle. His antigen receptors are genetically so sensitive that even taking a, even the low, having low testosterone levels to him was like having high testosterone. Taking a low dosage of a SARM was like taking full-blown steroid sack. Because he was so sensitive. Right. And, and a SARM is a, um, it's a, an androgen receptor, correct? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a steroid, but it's synthetic. And it's designed to be more active in the muscle and less active outside of the muscle and other tissues so that it benefit because there's no there's no real side effects of being anabolic in the muscle uh to the rest of the body it's when the steroid does other things in the body that it causes side effects so the goal with sarms was the pharmaceutical companies were trying to design something that would just build muscle without having any effect on other things like hair loss or the prostate or cholesterol, these type of things. And so when you're building the muscle, what happens to the ligaments that support the muscle and the joints? Are they also getting stronger or can the muscles get so strong that, that, uh, that the ligaments can't support the power or the torque provided by that muscle? Muscles are always going to get stronger than joints, tendons, and ligaments faster well joints don't really get stronger so tendons and, and ligaments so there is a real risk of when someone begins taking a steroid or a sarm that their strength of the muscle increases so much that they tear a leg uh tear a tendon uh, that, that's a risk but some of them do increase tendon strength a little bit but it's never going to be as fast as 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 in the muscle to keep up with it so as a bodybuilder we want to increase our our repetitions and our our increase our our form and uh, squeeze the muscle and maybe even increase the reps a little bit 
Because if you just take a bunch of steroids and go do a powerlifting and at a weight you've never done before, the muscles are now strong enough to tear the tendons. I feel like that was like rampant in the 90s and 2000s in Major League Baseball where people were like tearing hamstring tendons and ligaments all (laughs) over the place because they were, you know, on whatever it was, which at the time I remember was Andro. And, uh, you know, Andrew at the time was not illegal when they first found it behind in McGuire's locker. I remember going to Supplement City back where I used to live and you could get Andrew over the counter. And then at some point they decided to make it illegal. Then the, the big the big argument became, well, certain steroids were never illegal in baseball, not Andrew after they banned it. But the argument can't be something's not illegal in baseball so that therefore someone shouldn't be punished when it's illegal by the rule of law in your nation. Baseball's rules don't supersede the laws of your nation. I'm a big believer that you should be able to put anything in your body that you want to free of consequence because it's your vehicle, not theirs. When you, when you die, you got to die alone. They're not going to be there to help you out. But that's just uh, one of the arguments uh, that people had in major league baseball at the time. You know, the culture that they're trying to create, uh, for the medical mainstream monopoly is our dependence on them for information or access to these things. Because if people's mind are opened up to the chemistry that's available and what can be done right now, they would start questioning everything about the mainstream establishment. Like, why don't we have a cure for cancer? Why don't we have a cure for diabetes? Why don't we have a cure for heart disease? Well, the answer to all of these is simple, is that they are suppressed until and unless they produce a thousand times markup for a pharmaceutical company because that's a pharmaceutical company expects 500 to a thousand times markup. And, and that's how they make so much money that they can reinvest that money into influencing our entire political system, just like the oil industry or, or the banking industry or, or anything else. It's, it's, it's no different. Um, so by banning steroids or banning pretty much anything because it's not, it's just steroids. You go to, if you, if you look at the alternative medicine doctors that have been assassinated or censored, just disappeared, uh, there's a lot of them and they're the science that they came up with is really sound and it's even used in other countries, but it's highly censored in the U S. So U S citizens just don't even know about the chemistry that exists outside the United States. What really opened up my mind about this was when I went to China and I started visiting these supplement manufacturers, or uh, in, we'll call them ingredient manufacturers, and I realized how many drugs and supplements already existed, and I, and I researched, and they're all censored and banned and or, or ignored by the United States. And I'm like, how is this possible? And then I researched, oh, it's because Viagra got, Pfizer got the patent on Viagra. So what they did is they suppressed the other 70 compounds that do the same thing Viagra does, many of which could have even more benefits and even less side effects and are practically free to produce. All the chemistry already exists. So I think that when they say we're trying to ban steroids because we don't want the youth using steroids, I think it's more about we don't want the youth realizing the potential of chemistry outside of the medical mainstream. So you think that when companies get a patent on a drug like Viagra, they use their financial influence to suppress any other competitive patents that might be do the same job or do the same job better than they do. Uh, 100%. And they even, the pharmaceutical companies have lobbying groups that actually write the laws. People in the United States also don't realize the laws that we are supposed to follow and live by uh, and 
are not written by people that have our best interest. They are written, all of them are written by lobbyist groups. And the lobbyist groups are funded by the monopolies because they're the only ones that have enough money or make enough profit to be able to invest in in creating laws in America. And the politicians just sign off on it because they don't have any other choice. That's who got them elected and that's who's gonna that's who can get them impeached or out of office if they start going against the mainstream monopoly. So all of this seems like conspiracy. Like, what are we doing talking about this? I, I have to try and bring myself back to the topic. What are we doing talking about this? But if you start asking these questions, like why of any supplement, why is this supplement not more popular? It's amazing. I used it myself. It's a miracle. And then you follow the line all the way up. You always end up at the, at the same answer. So it helps you understand the physics. I, I also think all, all these issues overlap. Like it's very difficult to talk about big pharma without overlapping with several other, ind- several other issues that kind of, uh, you know, are hot button issues. I don't think any of these things live in a vacuum. So when we talk about big pharma, you know, there's big money involved in politicians and things like that. So I hear what you're saying, but it's difficult to separate one from the other because they all do overlap. So, so do you think, in your opinion, there are cures for some of these awful diseases out there like cancer and diabetes? They're just yet not yet profitable enough for pharmaceutical companies to make them mainstream? Yes, exactly. I mean, I mean people, people who know cancer really well are going to say, well, there's no such thing as one cure for cancer, right? There's, there's like 32 categories of cancer. Each one has a different way to treat it. But yes, for, there, for each of those 32 categories, there is a way to treat it. Uh, usually better than the mainstream, and that information is highly suppressed. Okay, so when you're experimenting with different uh, different performance enhancing supplements, you're first experimenting on yourself. Are you doing the research on these compounds, getting these compounds? Are you doing it all yourself, and then you're you're taking it all for a test spin? Do you have a team of people working with you? Like, how do you go about doing this in a manner that is safe, so that you don't wind up puking up uh, your lungs for forty eight hours and trying to rip your hair follicles out? <laughs> I started I started researching this stuff when I was twelve, right? So that's when I started really digging deep into this, and I was digging deep into the research of steroids. By the time I was 17, I just didn't, I I just made the decision not to take steroids until I was 30. I said, yes, I will someday take steroids, 100%, but I'll wait until my natural testosterone levels drop because I don't want to be permanently dependent on it. And I also wanted to see how far I could push myself naturally before I took something like a steroid. So it was all my own research, but no, dating back decades ago. Uh, and then when I started, when, so when I retired as a lawyer, I started a YouTube channel, Enhanced Athlete, which is now censored. I'm the most censored person in, in fitness. I, I've lost millions of followers and subscribers due to, due to censorship, shadow banning, accounts deleted, all these things. But my original YouTube channel was Enhanced Athlete. And the first thing that went viral on that channel was me experimenting on myself with DNP. And what happened was when I did that, I had a lot of underground people who reached out to me because I was the only one who said something positive about it. And so I had hundreds of people reaching out to me saying, wow, you're the only one that's come public saying something positive about this compound. I feel the same way you do. I wish the rest of the world knew the potential this compound has. And I started forming these little niche underground groups that we would communicate with each other and learn from each other. So now I had not only my 20 years of 
of research, but now I had all these other people who've also been researching for 20 years also giving me their input. And then fast forward, I, I met Coach Trev, big Coach Trevor, a massive bodybuilder that barely worked out, that doesn't diet, but he's he's as he was as big as uh, Olympia bodybuilders in the off season. And I and he and it baffled me because before I met him, I knew I I knew I wanted to build permanent muscle and use steroids to make a lower maintenance physique. It wasn't for me. A steroids wasn't. A, I already had a great physique before I ever used steroids. It wasn't about building the most amazing physique. It was about how do I maintain an awesome physique with minimal effort so I can focus my energy on other things. Always about the shortcuts. And when I met Coach Trevor, it reaffirmed my theory that you can build permanent muscle and become a lower maintenance looking, but also an amazing looking uh, bodybuilder. And then. He was an absolute chemistry genius, an actual chemist who actually makes things in a laboratory and experiments on himself. So then him and I started traveling the world together and just 24 hours a day researching and experimenting on each other. He'd inject something, I'd inject something. We'd inject something on a group of bodybuilders we would meet up with in whatever country. And so we had a, we just spent an, an unlimited budget and just went around the world experimenting on ourselves and, and, and others. Uh, so I think that answers your question about who, like, where did all the research come from? It, it started with my own, and then it became an underground communication, and then Coach Trevor came in, and it's still communication with uh, Trevor and other underground people to compare notes. That sounds fucking awesome, actually, just traveling the world, working out, and experimenting on each other. Yeah. When you got deplatformed by these uh, social media companies, did they give you a reason why? Uh, I mean, the the truth is that the mainstream supplement and drug industry attacked me. That's behind the scenes. And there is a conspiracy of them working together, trying to eliminate any influence that could uh, bring get, get people out of the matrix, basically. And But on the surface, it was, ah, this content is dangerous or harmful to people. That was the surface reason. Were your, were your outlets monetized? No, never, never monetized anything on, on any of the channels I controlled. So one of the, one of the places where I go to learn about supplements and workouts and things like that, that seems a little bit to me like the wild west outside of like, you know, the dark web is T nation, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, and it seems like those guys, I mean, like, uh, these people are conversing on like PhD level, uh, information who you know it sounds a little bit like you it's not necessarily eight years of schooling but 20 years of living and experimenting and doing all these things i always am surprised when i go on t nation that some of those accounts haven't been deleted or some server hasn't you know eliminated t nation from from its existence the way kind of they're doing to a lot of people right now but it's a it's a kind of an interesting an interesting thing the more light the, you bring to yourself the the difference is T Nation isn't convincing anybody to take steroids or, or experiment with chemistry. These people who are going there and finding that information are already interested in it. The threat that I posed was I had a unique ability uh, because of my passion about it, because of my knowledge about it, and because of my background as an attorney to be extremely persuasive to completely change people's thought process on, on chemical enhancement. And I did. I actually... In the beginning, and the way I think I got really good at it is in the beginning, I did have a lot of haters putting posting comments, 
And I took the time to individually interact with every single hater and flip them 180 degrees from what I call an enemy of freedom or someone who's against chemical enhancement to someone who's in favor of chemical enhancement, which is the same reason why, even though I get so much hate today, or I see a video where someone heavily criticizes what I do and my influence on the world saying that I'm the antichrist, that's what many of them will say. I say, you know what? Yes, they say that because they haven't had the opportunity to interact with me one-on-one, especially in person. Because in person, I can read someone's body language. I can see what their perspective is, and I can I can get inside their head. It's not manipulation. It's, it's that we're all trying to communicate a common idea, but in order to communicate a common idea, you have to understand the lens through which the other person is viewing it. How do you, how do you feel about like trying to convert some of these people that consider you to be the antichrist? Like, why not just walk away and deal with the people who are already in share your way of thinking? Like how much energy does that take to convert some of these jackasses? Not that they're all jackasses, but the online haters are in general jackasses. So this start, the reason why I do that started in eighth grade, I remember, because I would have these sessions of, with my friends where I see the world completely different. There's something about my brain that's just outside the matrix that, uh, that sees a different perspective. And I would have these meetings with my friends of, of theory, and I would explain to them my theory, and, it, and some of them were just so stubborn and saw it opposite, and they would attack me constantly about just my ph- philosophical theories on things in eighth grade. And then after that, I realized like I'm my brain is on in some other realm, not better or worse. It's just in a different plane of existence. And everybody and all these other people are trying to pull and influence me and the rest of humanity into what I feel is like a very negative direction that doesn't embrace freedom, that embraces conformity and uh, negative emotion and is not productive. And, and so my whole life has been amazing. My life has been amazing, but it's always been other people trying to limit my freedom and me trying to convince them not to limit my freedom. And, and yes, I can do things privately. And I did, I do things privately, but, but the problem is, as you see right now, the re- one of the reasons why it's so easy for the world superpowers to control the minds of everybody in the world right now is because they've been conditioned for so long. Their mind is so far in the matrix, it's hard to get it out. Now, if I had more influence and there was more people outside the matrix, the whole world would be a better place right now. So I can zoom out and say, like, whole world's a better place if it embraces freedom. Even my short, small group of friends is a better place if it embraces freedom. Even the state of California is a better place if it embraces freedom. And so they I got a long way to go is create a, a, as much influence as I can to try to make the world better so that I have a better place to live in for me and, and my children. And, but I balance that with just my own personal pleasure and happiness. And, and I don't show everything that I do or take, or I'd probably be in jail. Were you yoked in eighth grade already, or were you kind of a normal sized dude? No, I, I was an ectomorph. I had no muscle in eighth grade, but I I was trying to do as many pull-ups as I could do, as many push-ups as I could do. So it was more performance-based since I couldn't get the size. I think when I was 16, I started looking much more muscular and I and I got much more strong. That was the, that was like the turning point, 16. So do you work with athletes? Are you consulting with people uh, on a regular basis? Is that what you're doing? So I have a huge demand of people that want to be coached. And I just personally don't want to 
I'm still semi-retired. I'm not, I mean, my condo, this condo costs $550 and it's on the ocean in Pattaya, Thailand. You know, my life expenses are so low now and the quality of life is so high because I've chosen the place I've chosen to live. I'm not trying to make a lot of money, but I do want to help a lot of people. So there is the EA inner circle, which is a, is, is an uncensored way for me to try to get sort of coaching information out to people. And then I still do the YouTube videos and I still do communicate with a lot of people one-on-one, but it's very difficult because there's so many people, it's time consuming. I probably should start charging for coaching like one-on-one more and then reinvest that money back into research. Uh, kind of like the supplement company, Enhanced. Uh, and I have a supplement company called Enhanced. And the profits from that were reinvested into research in, in the beginning. And, and still are uh, to an extent. So I could probably do the same thing with coaching and maybe I will open it up for that. It's just that I'm not, I'm not a coach. I'm not, I'm not someone who motivates someone or inspires someone. I give them perspective and I give them sort of a different uh, set of rules to experiment with. And I give them some tips and tricks, but I don't like track people's progress um, on my own. They have to come to me with their own tracking. For me, it's experimentation. So if someone wants to do an experimental cycle and they're going to report to me on the effects of it, then I will help them through that experimentation and I'll share all of my knowledge with them on it. Right. I don't, I don't think to be a coach or to guide someone, you need to be necessarily inspirational, but you clearly have a wealth of knowledge that there are people out there who would die to know what's inside your head, especially if they're going to be doing experiments on themselves. So I didn't know if that was a service that you offered and also anything you want, any uh, inner circles or anything you want to share, you'll send me the links and I'll post them in the show notes. So anything that you want to share, that would be, uh, that would be something that we can do. Um, so I want to just get back really quickly to, to USADA. Do you think they accomplish anything at all? I mean, they do. I, I think they do prevent most athletes from using most of the most powerful performance enhancing drugs. So there's always going to be performance enhancing drug usage. They're not going to be able to get away with using all of the most powerful things. So yeah, I, I don't think it's a complete flop. I think it's effective for its intended purpose uh, you know, when they go to the, let's look at the most extreme uh, anti-doping policy is to to maintain a blood and urine sample of an Olympic athlete for years because they don't even know what compounds they could be using, but this way they can test it later when their testing procedures and their knowledge of what compounds they could have been using is upgraded. So yeah, it's it certainly is effective testing now. Um, I just... That, that- the B sample thing doesn't seem fair to me. I think we're like at a, at a moment in time, we're all playing by one set of rules and for you to kind of freeze that moment in time and then judge someone later on as the rules have changed based on the rules they were playing by in the past, it just seems disingenuous and unfair to me to, to athletes to 10, 15 or however many years later, strip them of their accomplishments, uh, you know, because you had a B sample hanging out somewhere. I think we all live in the present day. We should all be play by today's rules and not worry about how they may change in 20 years and affect our accomplishments today. So that same theory and protocol applies to a lot of things in, in America and a lot of these developed countries where America, for example, collects data on you and everything that you do. And you might not think you're doing anything illegal now, but 
five years from now, they have that data from what you did before and they can pass a law that's retroactive or they can reinterpret the law. And all of a sudden, everybody in America is instantly overnight a criminal and loses all their freedom and rights. Uh, unless they go along with the mainstream and whatever the monopoly wants. So it becomes a blackmail situation, just like every politician uh, makes their decisions based on benefit of personal gain through bribery and also uh, a fear of, of blackmail. Uh, so it's the same thing with, with athletes. You, you, I can't imagine a system that is actually is justice uh, when every system I've ever, when I dig deep, experience is corrupt. They're going to collect all this data on athletes and they're going to threaten an athlete with doing something that they want. Otherwise, they're going to reveal a test from many years ago that failed for some very small thing. It's just an example of collecting data and keeping uh keeping leverage on people in the, in the early two thousands, I was, uh, I was in the army reserves and we had done a, um, we'd done a project where we, at the end of it, we received a certification from the state department of mental retardation. And I shared that with one of my buddies who's a lot younger than I am, who, uh, is a teacher. And he's like, I don't even think you can say mental retardation anymore. And I was like, well, I've got the certificate from the United States government. Am I no longer allowed to post this? And so, you know, it's kind of that same thing. I was, I was basically, uh, I was shamed into not sharing the fact that I was an expert in mental retardation, which is, yeah. it's, it's very yeah, sad. They're going to save everything we've ever said too. And it's going to be politically incorrect someday. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're in Thailand. I've been to Thailand. When I was in Thailand, uh, it was probably about 10 years ago as a big American guy walking into a pharmacy there. Uh, several of the pharmacies we'd go into would just basically whip out a binder and just, you know, point to whatever it is you think you want there. So as someone who's experimenting, what are your reasons for going to Thailand where it seems like the performance enhancing culture is much more wide open than it is here? Yeah, exactly. You can buy steroids over the counter. You can buy it because it's just not looked down upon in America. It's such a negative taboo. And in Thailand, I mean, it, a lot, a lot of people here know that all bodybuilders and athletes take steroids and they just don't have any negative emotion about it. It's just a tool. Um, and then of course it's a lot of people travel from all over the world to come here because of the steroids. And again, nothing negative. Nobody's having any serious side effects. Nobody's dying from it. Uh, if people come here, they do, some people don't want to do steroids at all in their own country. So they come here and spend a month bulk up to a one month cycle and go back home with a whole bunch of new muscle. And yeah, so that's part of it. Part of it is the access to chemistry. The fact that a lot more is, is legal. The fact that I can go to any pharmacy and buy a lot of stuff over the, over the counter. It's just so easy and convenient and, and so much cheaper. That's, that's an, and then also the, the fitness lifestyle here is uh, the gyms are good. Uh, the food for bodybuilding food is, is really cheap. Like, Chicken and rice, we pay $1.50 for a chicken and rice. So you could eat meat and chicken and rice all day, uh, which most bodybuilders do. Uh, and then the MMA scene of here, of course, blows away the, the bodybuilding scene. Right. I mean, there's, I think this is world headquarters for, for MMA and, and, and fighting. Certainly for Muay Thai it is, yeah. For years, they, yeah, didn't, for they, didn't, they didn't really embrace MMA for a bunch of years because Muay Thai is so deeply entrenched in their culture that uh, right. they saw MMA as a threat to the Muay Thai aspect of their culture. So they've come around because it's such a huge moneymaker and you got people coming from Australia and parts of Western Europe coming there to train. I mean, Americans go there all the time also. So for you, it's... Ooh. 
I know someone you must interview for your channel would be amazing. He's a, he's a fighter. He's a referee. He organizes a lot of the events here and he sent me his photo album of pictures and you could put those up on the screen and it'll just blow your mind. I mean, amazing photography of these all different types of fights and even uh, a, a major documentary production company contacted me and wanted uh, me to help find them sources of content for the next documentary. And uh, one of the questions was, well, do they do any bare knuckle fighting? And he said, yes, they have bare knuckle legal fights that people gamble on. The gambling side is illegal. You're not supposed to gamble here, but that's obviously people are always gambling right. on fights. Uh, so that might be an interesting interview for you. Can you, say his, can you say his name? Yeah, Nick Chapman. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'd definitely be down to get in touch with him. Um, yeah, the scene there is crazy nowadays. So for, for you being in Thailand, it's less about um, the actual over-the-counter finished product and more about the compounds and the things you can put together in order to make uh, further enhance what those chemicals are doing. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, and I this I know every every topic we talk about comes back up to government and and people controlling people. But that's fine. Here, here's how it works: in America, they create the illusion of freedom, and as a result, they have to control every aspect of your life, and you, people don't realize that they're controlling or influencing every aspect of your life. In Thailand, you have basically a dictatorship. You have a king who's in charge of everything. And yes, you have a government underneath him, everything, but pretty much the king controls everything and the king's friends and family and insiders. So they are interested in making money. Well, all of all super world superpowers are interested in making money. I think he's one of the most wealthy people on the planet, this king himself. Um, they're not interested in all the little stuff. You know, they, they don't, they don't try to limit before now it's changing because of the whole new world order. But before they don't care what all the little people are doing all the time. Right. There's, there's much less police. There's much less enforcement. People can do what they want as long as they're not hurting someone else. And, and that's the culture I like because what I do doesn't hurt people. When I experiment on people with chemistry and stuff, it's all very carefully calculated and nobody's going to the hospital. Nobody's getting injured. And so even though in America, maybe a lot of this stuff would be illegal, maybe even it's illegal here in some ways too. It just isn't a priority because the, the superpowers that control this country aren't trying to make money off of every little tiny thing that every individual does and, and feel the need to limit freedom. They already have that power through a dictatorship. They don't need to create the illusion of it. So you're chilling down by the beach though. I mean, people are hanging out. They're probably having like parties, worshiping the moon and drinking until six in the morning. Have you spent time in Bangkok and do you feel like that the attitude is pervasive there as well? Or is it just kind of like uh, down South on the beach culture and up North in the jungle? Oh, this is a good point. Any big city in the world has people that are more judgmental, more busy, more stressed, more work and money oriented and less quality of life uh, style. So I'm in Pattaya, which is one of the party capitals of the world. Of course, the culture is very different here than in Bangkok, where you have a lot more conservative people who are focused on, on uh, business. Um, so, right, it's still there's still not enforcement of things that don't matter so much in Bangkok, but you're also not going to see visually when you walk around the level any remote level of freedom that you would see in Pattaya or one of the beach towns that attracts tourism. That Bangkok's not beautiful. It's right, not. just a big old city. Yeah, it's a big old city. What, how do you compare what you're doing to what Victor Conte and Balco were doing in the 90s and 2000s? 
Yeah, similar. Okay. Yeah, they were coming out with new steroids and they were manufacturing stuff and they were getting it to all the athletes and kind of helping all the athletes behind the scenes have the best chemistry available. And yeah, so it's actually quite similar. And were they doing kind of the same thing you're doing, which is self-experimentation or did they have a different network or, or procedure for figuring out which compounds and combination of co combinations of compounds worked best? I imagine it's a similar approach, but I am not an expert on the history of it. I have friends that are experts on the history that that tell me great stories about all these things who were personally involved in it. But I, And because I had them as a resource, I never felt the need to really dig into it. If I had a question about it or if they thought something was relevant to my research, they would bring it up. But I never got the whole biography of it. If you weren't doing this, would you still be in law? No. No, I retired law. I retired law before or I decided, let's say, okay, when I was 30 years old is my first time I came to Asia. And when I was 30, that's when my law firm was really booming. And I had about 20, 23 employees underneath me I'm responsible for in my law firm, Hughes Financial Law. And when I came to Asia, and I was making a lot of money, I had a big house, had a yacht, had cars, motorcycles, jet skis, uh, living the rich American lifestyle. Boats and then when and I hose. came hose yeah boats and hose yeah <laughs> yep lots of boats and hose <laughs> and amazing yacht parties i mean some of the best times of my life are these yacht parties that it's it's hard to even recreate now but and that was in america um but it was also very expensive <laughs> you yeah. know <laughs> so then i came to asia and i'm spending uh you know 15 dollars a night on a hotel that it's not even nice but i feel happy I'm having girls spend the night with me for $20 each. So I'm getting three girls for $60 to That's spend a all night with me. Yeah. Can't even, get a, can't even get a drink and an appetizer for $60 over here. Really? And I'm not even a, I'm not a set. I'm not really not an infomaniac and I don't even really like having sex more than one time per day, but I love female attention. So for me, heaven is just having three naked girls in my room, just massaging me and just, I, I can even, I'm just doing my work on my laptop and they're just kind of just around playing, having fun. That's just, to me, that's my heaven. So I, nice. I like to do those type of things. And when I realized how much happier I was with those simple things, and then I go back to America and I'm in my law office and I'm going, oh my God, this is so much stress. It's going to kill me. And none of the, this is not as fun. And, and the fun that I am having costs a fortune. Um, so then I did at that point, I decided to kind of wind it down, uh, and just semi retire. And then I had a daughter also. And then I was like, Oh my God, how am I going to work 12 hours a day at a law firm and do weightlifting and my other hobbies and research and also take care of a daughter at the same time? This is, this is time to time to retire. And also I didn't want to get stuck with, uh, the baby mama would use that was using that as leverage. She got pregnant on purpose, stopped the birth control, and and I would have gotten stuck in a child support situation, paying a huge amount of money for eighteen years, involuntary servitude, forced to be a lawyer for another eighteen years. And I said, no, that's it. I'm getting out of this before that ever becomes an issue. So I had a lot of different reasons at once. When, uh, when's the last time you were in the states? One year ago. Just just so, under a year. What you're describing, like on a smaller, like micro level, uh, I'm in the Northeast right now and I've been back and forth to Florida a little bit during the pandemic and over the holidays and stuff. 
and that's kind of how I feel coming back to the Northeast. I mean, I felt like getting out off the airplane, like I was getting shuttled back into East Germany. Florida mm. has never shown so bright ever. I mean, people are moving down there. I think they're going to regret it once things open up back up north. But I mean, that place is looking like Shangri-La right now for anybody who can who can work from home. It, it, it's kind of crazy. Uh, yeah, Florida, here. Texas, uh, Nevada, or Las Vegas would be the three places I would... Uh, if I was in the U.S. still, those are the three places I would consider moving right now. So uh, what is on Dr. Tony Huge Esquire's playlist when he is in the gym getting huge? Well, uh, I've got my playlist right here. Uh, so this morning I was doing a workout back here with that fitness girl. And I started out listening to morning epic music. So this is like, it's not too hard, not too fast. It's more like epic music, like in a movie, like a movie trailer music. It doesn't have any words. It doesn't cause any thoughts. It's just background occupying my monkey brain and sort of builds up to these epic things that make you feel like you want to work out. Then I switch on the Metallica after that. For some reason, the home workout, I like Metallica. If I'm in the gym, I like Rage Against the Machine, and I go between that and uh, Disturbed, and then just because some of the best times of my life were with with house music, uh, like David Guetta and stuff like that, I, I throw in, or Cascade, I throw in that too. And I switch between the three depending on how I'm feeling during the workout. And it makes a big difference. The music actually improves my workout a lot, makes it a lot more pleasurable, especially when I'm really high. If yeah. I'm really high, and working out and have great music it's like ecstasy i got a friend who works out with no music i think he's a psychopath but he also eats dinner without drinking anything also so that's a little bit weird too um yeah that's kind of crazy you're a savage for doing the home workout like that i could do like one every three months and that's it i gotta go somewhere it doesn't matter where it is i just can't do it in the home it, it's hard to do by myself but if a girl's here and either she's leading me like she's okay you do this okay i'll do that or if I'm leading her, like I'll have this other girl come over tonight who's who's really, she's 24, but she looks like she's 18. And she acts like a young girl who wants me to teach her everything. Right. And so that gets me excited. Like, hey, let me show you how to do push-ups. So I teach her how to do push-ups. And it's fun. It almost satisfies because my daughters are both in the Philippines right now. I feel like I'm really missing that part of my life. I almost get that daughter feeling like I'm teaching a, a young girl and she's appreciative of me teaching her. So that actually gives me some motivation, but if it's by myself, I have a really hard time finding the motivation. Yeah. It, it's tough for me. I, it, that's why when the gym's closed here, as I said, like I'm driving 25 minutes just to like, uh, you know, work out and I have a gym and I just can't work out there. It's tough because you know, nobody wants to work out where they work. You don't want to be going in there all, all the time. So do you uh, still train every day if you have to drive farther or do you just do it less often and more intense when you do? I train every day something, whether I train jujitsu every day or whether I do cardio every day or whether uh, I lift every day. It's, it's something. I do something. Uh, I got, I've had like five knee surgeries, so my body's starting to fall apart from years of combat sports. So I'm not doing any running. We'll do a lot of bike sprints. Uh, some days I'll do a kettlebell circuit, like a density circuit. Uh, some days I just feel like doing a good old hypertrophy session, you know, like, uh, you know, doing a pyramid scheme and just, you know, get a good pump. Saturdays, if I'm going to wear the tight black shirt, I like to do some drop sets, get nice and vascular, cut the carbs for a couple of days and, and go out feeling swole. So uh, it really depends on on how I feel as I still compete once in a while. But as that kind of winds down, uh, my workouts are less geared towards competitive results and more geared towards how my brain and body feel. 
So when you compete in what type of federation is it or, or where? So what I do is I compete in the uh, International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation. And for guys like me, we have skill, age, and weight categories. So I'm not competing against 28-year-old kids where I have to like match their skill level anymore. I'm competing against other guys my age group and my skill level and my weight. Those tournaments are held all over the world. Um, we generally do most of the, the ones on the East Coast, and there are some bigger ones that we'll, we'll move around to. For someone in my age category, which is called Masters 3, so for guys who are over 45, if you want to really get the matches, you've got to go to one of the biggest four tournaments of the year, which is uh, the World Championship, the European Championship, Pan Ams, or what's called the Brasileiros in Brazil. We go to the Boston Open and some of the other Opens. You'll get one or two matches, but if you really want the matches, you got to go to the big tournaments. So uh, we do that. And for me, I've always like been a little bit challenged cardio-wise. So you know, I work mostly on my cardio. And if I have to do too much strength training it wreaks havoc on my joints and then it detracts from the actual technical uh, training that I have to do. So it's a balancing act. I, I have sparred with a jujitsu master before about three years ago. Yeah. And anyone I know experience. I wish I had more of it on video. I have a little bit on video. Uh, I, I don't know if I've ever even published it. You know what? I'm going to see if I can find it. Um, but I will say that he weighed, let's say I weighed 225 pounds and he probably weighed 160 pounds. So I've got 85 pounds on him. I'm jacked. I'm super strong. And he destroyed me. Yep. I mean, I would come at him. And before I knew it, he was on my back and putting me in a chokehold. And I'm, I'm tapping out. Ten times in a row I tapped out. And there's so many times that I thought I had him. I was just bear hugging him. And I was like, I could crush his rib cage right now. Let me try. And it was and all I'm a trap. And all of a sudden, yes, exactly. The harder I fought, the more exhausted I got, the easier it was for him to just. So he he actually had a uh, a sister, a younger sister, and he taught her jujitsu, and she got in a really bad fight with her uh, uh, boyfriend, and she locked him up. She, I mean, she boy, that sounds bad, like lock him up in jail. No, she locked him up in a some kind of neck hold, arm bar, or whatever. And she's a small girl. It's amazing how powerful these techniques are. I think it's something that you know every good person who needs to defend themselves should probably learn some basics. My uh, my coach was a much smaller guy than I was, and uh, he used to tell me, "Big and strong don't mean anything." He would say. Big is the size of my cock and strong is the smell of my shit. And neither one has anything to do with the fucking fight. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Did you, did you ever fight someone uh, just really big? Just, just to see like someone ever challenge you or did you challenge them and say, Hey, let's see I what mean, I, I probably have been in more um, unsanctioned altercations than, than I should be proud of. But I, you know, I fought professionally also, and I was attended to as a professional MMA fighter, but I also got in a lot of trouble growing up. So, I mean, it's kind of like one thing led into the other. Um, but we had some, some interactions with some big boys who thought they probably were just going to, I find that outside of the cage, bigger dudes think that their size is enough to intimidate people and they never really have to back it up because generally smaller people will cower to the size. And so the big dude never really has to press, uh, test himself because people are right. constantly backing away. And yeah. when that doesn't happen, uh, you know, they can get a little bit uh, stuck in the mud, so to speak, when someone who's smaller than them says, well, I'm not going anywhere. So let's figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. me. Exactly. Nobody, I, since I started weightlifting at a young age, I was always had more muscular and, 
I don't think I've ever had anybody really try to fight me my entire yeah. life. And I've been all over the world in a lot of different situations that just the appearance of the muscle seems to stop it. Luckily, lucky, lucky for me, because I am, I am a black belt in Taekwondo actually, but that is not really oh. a, that's more like artistic and uh, yeah, I can do, I can do flying kicks and all this kind of stuff, but that doesn't help against jujitsu or close range striking as yeah. much. Well, I mean, you know, you hit somebody in the face with a kick and you knock them out. Jiu-jitsu doesn't matter. I, I, I'm yeah. a big believer that... Distance, yeah. Right. And every every correctly performed martial arts technique has a time and a place where it's effective and will mm-hmm. work. It's up to you to figure out what that time and place is and to execute it. You right. know, you're not, like you said, like when somebody gets your back, you, the flying kick doesn't work anymore. You should have yeah. kicked them in the face long before they grabbed you. Yeah, yeah. Dude, Tony, this has been uh, this has been a good time. Um, so I think we're going to wrap it up here. And as I said, any links or anything you want to send me, I will post them in the show notes, and um, and and we'll close it out here. Any final thoughts? Be swell and swole, friends of freedom, pioneers of human evolution. <laughs> That's tremendous. Is that on a T-shirt? No, it's just what I say at the end of videos. Okay. And, Is it, if, if it were on a t-shirt, I would buy it instantly. <laughs> all right. Cool, man. All right. We'll chat after this is all over and uh, we'll share some links. And uh, I really appreciate you doing this. I had a blast. and It was very educational. Okay. Thanks, all right. John. Thanks, brother. Take care. Well, that was one of the coolest and most informative conversations I've had in quite a fucking while. If you're interested in finding Dr. Tony and he legit might not want to be found, check the links in the show notes. And if you dig what we're doing, hit the subscribe button and check out our Patreon page. The link is also in the show notes. One day soon, some wealthy beer baron is going to come in here and drop a sponsorship so I can at least drink for free. That's my silly little romantic dream. Hey, while you're out there, don't overthink it.